0: The uh, reading today is from Revelation chapter 1, and that can be found in the Blue Church Bibles on page 1233, so if you haven't got a Bible, please put your hand up and someone will bring one to you. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is is the one who reads aloud the words of his prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before, before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. and among the se- and, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, When I saw him, I fell at his his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches.
1: Brilliant, thanks, Ollie. Let's, um, let's pray together as we come to God's word now. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we've already thought about this morning, you are the God who speaks to us. Father, we pray that uh, your spirit would work in us, that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, I wonder if you've um, ever asked or been asked the question, where is history heading? Where, where is all of this going? Where is history heading? It might not have been uh, in exactly those words, but I, I do think it's a question that lots of people ponder from time to time. It just, uh, just think back over the last year uh, for a moment. As coronavirus swept across the world, governments and scientists were all left asking, what's going to happen? Where is all of this heading? Where is it going? Is this virus something that we can control, or, or do we just let it loose? Uh, Can we get rid of it, or do we just have to learn to live with it? What is going to happen? Uh, Those were big questions for people in labs and government meetings, but uh, questions about the future also became part of our day-to-day conversation, didn't they? It was like we all kind of developed psychic superpowers overnight, uh, constantly predicting what might happen next, or trying to read the mind of Boris Johnson, or predict the virus's next move. Uh, We all wondered, and... probably still wonder whether life will ever get back to normal or whether things have changed for good. In other words, it doesn't really matter whether you're the prime minister or a plumber, a scientist or a school teacher. All of us wonder from time to time where history is heading. We know, don't we, that, that life doesn't just stand still. We know we're going somewhere, but we're just not sure where. And it's those sorts of questions, questions about the future that bring us to this book of Revelation. You see, Revelation is a book all about where history is heading. More importantly, it's a book about who controls history, who sets the course, who determines the destination. And so if you've ever found yourself asking those sorts of questions of where are things going, whether it's in your own life or on the global stage... If you've ever wondered if anyone really is in control of the things around us, well, then Revelation is a great place for you to be this term. And I don't know what you thought uh, as you heard that we were looking at this book together. Uh, my guess is that, that there might have been a, a couple of different reactions. Because lots of people, lots of Christians even, tend to avoid this book altogether. And on first reading, it's not really that hard to see why they might do that. It's full of all sorts of weird creatures and monsters and numbers and symbols. And so it sounds a lot more like something out of Harry Potter than the Bible. And so we think, oh, that's not for me. And we avoid it altogether. Stick to the safety of the Gospels or, or a nice letter like Ephesians. Some avoid it, but others get a bit obsessed by it. They pour over the numbers and the symbols as though there's some sort of hidden code for working out whether Donald Trump really is the beast or, or predicting the future, they get obsessed. Maybe you've come across that sort of thing before, maybe on the internet or in a book somewhere. Some avoid it, some get a bit obsessed by it, but, but as we jump into Revelation this term, I want us to see that although it might be a bit unusual or unfamiliar to us, we really don't need to be afraid of it. In fact, the opposite is true. Revelation is as much God's word as any other part of the Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy... ...world. Uh, Revelation is God's word. That means it's good for us. And in fact, that's exactly how John, the author, begins his book, isn't it? Do you see that in verse 3? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Reading Revelation, this term, taking it to heart, will be a blessing to us. And so we don't need to be afraid of it, we don't need to be weird about it, we can be excited by it. Excited to see how God will speak to us through his word. But having said all of that, a quick Google search of Revelation will show you that we do also need to be careful as we come to a book like this. We need to think hard about what it is we're reading if we're going to understand it and apply it in the way that God intends. And so that's really our our big aim this morning, as we jump into this sometimes weird and always wonderful book, we need to get our bearings. And we're going to do that by asking three big questions this morning. Uh, Very simple questions. What kind of book is Revelation? Who is Revelation for? And what's it all about? What kind of book is it? Who's it for? And what's it all about? Uh, Question one. What kind of book is Revelation? Uh, One of the problems we have when we, we come to a book like this is that we're not that sure what it is we're reading or how we're meant to read it. And so just as you might get pretty confused if you started reading Lord of the Rings as an accurate history of Britain or an Ikea flat pack furniture guide as an exciting novel, the same is true for Revelation. You need to know what you're reading. If you read it like Romans or one of the Gospels, you're going to find yourself pretty confused. Thankfully, it seems that that John, the writer, knows this might happen, and so he begins his book by telling us exactly what kind of writing this is. And the first thing we see in verse 1 is that it is a revelation. 1 verse 1, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. The word revelation there is the same as the word apocalypse. Apocalypse. Uh, which might bring to mind some uh, dramatic movie scenes for you, but, but apocalypse just means to reveal, uh, to unveil. Uh, this book is an unveiling. It's a, a revealing of something otherwise unseen. It's a bit like Jesus is going to draw back the curtain on reality. We're going to go behind the scenes to see what is really going on in the world. It's a revelation, it's a behind-the-scenes glimpse of reality. Second, it's a testimony. Verse 1 again, he made it known by sending uh, his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. This is a testimony, a, a witness of the apostle John. The same John who wrote a gospel and some other New Testament letters, the same John who walked and talked with Jesus when he was on earth, is now testifying, bearing witness to his vision of what Jesus has shown him. It's a a revelation, it's a testimony, and then thirdly, it's a prophecy. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Just like other prophecies in the Bible, Revelation is a word from God. It is God's word about things that have happened in the past, things that are happening now, and things that will happen in the future. And because it's God's word, it is to be declared, it's to be spoken, and it's to be responded to appropriately. Verse 3 says we are to, to listen and take to heart what God says through this word. Listening will lead to blessing. Ignoring will lead to judgment. Revelation, testimony, prophecy, and then finally it's a letter. Verse 4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. This is a letter from the Apostle John to the Christians in Asia, modern-day Turkey. But it's not just John who's speaking, is it? Verse 4 carries on. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And so you see, on the one hand, this is a letter written by John, but it comes from Jesus Christ. Verse 5, it comes from the King of Kings. It comes from the one who has defeated death, the one who has freed us from sin verse 6. It comes from the one who will return in judgment and in glory, verse 7. This letter comes from King Jesus. And as we're going to see, it is all about King Jesus too. Uh, But Before we get there, we need to answer our second question. Uh, We've seen what kind of book Revelation is. Next, we need to see who's it for. Uh, You see, verse 4 sounds a bit like at the start of other New Testament letters, doesn't it? Uh, It's from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Uh, In fact, uh, one commentator said if we didn't have verses 1 to 3, we might call this book Asians. Uh, The point is that just like other New Testament letters like Ephesians or Galatians, this is written to real people in a real place at a real time in history. Uh, We can see who those people are down in verse 11. It's to the people of Ephesus at the church in Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. These are real churches in real places, in real history. And verse 9 says they are churches under pressure. Look at verse 9 with me. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John is writing as someone who has been exiled for speaking about Jesus, for his testimony about Jesus. And he's writing to churches who are facing similar opposition. He says they're his companions in suffering and in patient endurance. These are churches under pressure. And as we're going to see this term, that means they are churches in danger. Whether it's through compromise or cowardice or, or just growing cold towards Jesus, these churches face the very real danger of just giving up. And they face the temptation of thinking that, that life would just be easier if they stopped following Jesus and just went with the crowd, and did what Rome asked them to do. And so it's into that pressure, into those temptations that King Jesus speaks to them. He speaks directly to his people to encourage, to reassure, to challenge them, to keep on going, to persevere, to endure, to follow him no matter what. And so it's going to be important for us to to first of all see what this book would have meant for them then. What it would have meant for the Christians in Ephesus or Laodicea to, to listen and take to heart what Jesus was saying to them. We need to see what it means for them then, but but we mustn't stop there. Because although Revelation was written to them, it is also written for us. If you've ever looked at at Revelation before, you'll know that that numbers play a big role in the letter, don't they? Uh, Not in some sort of secret hidden code kind of way, but, but simply in the way that numbers have significance throughout the Bible. Uh, They have meanings throughout the Bible, and those meanings are carried on in this book. Uh, So, for example, the number four represents uh, the whole world. We might speak of the four corners of the earth. Or the number 12 uh, represents God's people, 12 tribes of Israel, Israel, 12 apostles. Uh, Numbers are important in Revelation. And the number seven is the number of perfection, of completeness. Which means as John writes to the seven churches, we're meant to understand that in two ways. There are the the seven literal churches that we've just thought about, but there's also the complete church. The fact that there are seven churches means that Revelation is for every church in every age across the world. You can see that in the repeated phrase that we're going to get throughout the letters. At the end of every letter, it says this. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the Spirit of God who speaks through the Word of God to the churches of God. And that is as true today as it was back then. Revelation is as relevant for King's Church Chessington as it was for Christ Church Thyatira or Grace Church Sardis. It was written to them, But it is written for us. Which is really good news for us, this term, isn't it? Because it means that we too can be blessed if we listen and take to heart what Jesus says to his churches through his word. And that brings us to the last question. What is Revelation all about? This term, we are going to focus just on the first few chapters of the book. We'll return to the rest of the book in the new year. We're going to f- focus on the first few chapters, and as we're going to see, the letters in these chapters are packed full of pretty specific, pretty punchy application. Uh, but before we get to that, before we get to the, the nitty-gritty of the individual letters, uh, John wants us to grasp the big picture. Uh, he wants us to see what, or, or rather who, this letter is all about. And the, the big thing that John wants us to see, the big thing he wants us to have in mind as we, we go through this book, is that Jesus Christ is the risen, ruling king of the universe. That he has defeated sin and Satan and death, and that one day he will return. I'll say that again. John wants us to have in mind, to know that, that Jesus Christ is the risen Ruling king of the universe, he has defeated sin and Satan and death, and one day he will return in glory. That is the big picture. That is where history is heading. And it's what we get a glimpse of in the second half of chapter 1. I don't know what, what comes to mind when you think of the Lord Jesus. That when, you, when you pray to him or, or you talk about him with a friend. I've recently been watching a, a TV show called The Chosen. I know some of you have been watching it as well. It's a, a TV drama telling the story of Jesus in the Gospels. Like all TV dramas, it uses a bit of artistic license to make its point. But, but I've really loved watching it. And one of the reasons I've loved it is because is it helps me to see, or it does a good job of showing some of the humanity of Jesus. It helps you to get an idea of what it would have been like for him to walk the dusty roads of Galilee. What it would have been like for for him to be tired and hungry at the end of a long day. Disappointed or or excited. And Maybe that's how you tend to think of Jesus. Jesus the man. Jesus the friend. Jesus the one who knows what it's like to be me. And all of that is really important. All of that is good and true. But... But it's not the whole picture, is it? Yes, Jesus is fully man. Yes, he walked and talked like us. He got tired and hungry like us. Jesus is fully man. But he is also fully God. And that's what we get a glimpse of in this vision at the end of chapter 1. In verse 10, John hears a voice telling him what to write to these seven churches. And he turns around to see who's speaking. And this is what he sees. Verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. John gets this vision of, a, of mind-blowing images Images that we, we've not got anywhere near enough time to look at this morning. Uh, but don't worry because each of those images, each of those descriptions is going to come back in chapters 2 and 3. Each of the seven letters begins with a, a description of Jesus taken straight from this vision. And so we're going to explore that a whole load more over the term. Uh, but for now, John wants us just to just a glimpse the glory of Jesus to see the Son of Man whose eyes are like a blazing fire, whose feet are like a furnace, glowing with heat, whose voice is louder than a thousand Niagara Falls and whose face is brighter than a thousand suns. We need to get a glimpse of this Jesus, because it's this Jesus that John wants us to have in mind as we go on through Revelation. As we think about the different temptations and challenges and pressures that we face as individuals and as a church, John wants our minds to be full of this Jesus. He wants us to see Jesus, the King of glory, the one who sits on the throne of the universe, the one who will return for all to see. But it's more than that. It's more than that because not only do we get this glorious vision of of Jesus who rules and who will return, we also see the one who knows and who speaks to his people. I wonder if you noticed where John sees the glorious King Jesus standing in this vision. Verse 13, he's standing among the lampstands. The lampstands which verse 20 tell us are the churches. In other words, Jesus is the king who stands among or with his people. This is not some distant, unknowable deity. Jesus is not disinterested or detached from his people. No, he stands stands among his churches. He is with them. And that means he knows them deeply. That's the second repeated phrase we're going to see in the letters. Jesus says to the churches again and again, I know, I know, I know your deeds, I know your trials, I know your sin, I know your temptation, I know the pressures that you're under. Jesus is the king who knows, and he's the king who speaks. By his spirit and through his word, King Jesus speaks to his people. He spoke to them 2,000 years ago in places like Ephesus and Pergamum. And he continues to speak to us today. He continues to speak his words of comfort and of challenge. He continues to remind us and reassure us that he is in charge. That history is heading somewhere. And if we trust in him, if we belong to him, then we have absolutely nothing to fear about that. Jesus is the king who speaks. And so the big question that leaves us with this morning, the big question that's going to come up again and again this term, is will we listen? Will we listen to the king of kings as he speaks to each one of us in this book? At the start of a new term, with lots of change and lots of things starting up again at the start of what might be a new phase for King's Church Chessington. Will we listen and take to heart what King Jesus says to us? Let's pray that we will have ears to hear what Jesus says to his churches. Let's pray together. Our loving... Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for the fact that you speak to us. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for this incredible chapter uh, at the beginning of Revelation. Thank you. Father, please uh, fill our minds, fill our hearts with this picture, this image, this vision uh, of our King. And Father, we pray that today and tomorrow, and in the weeks to come, we would have ears to hear what he says to each one of us. Father, please help us to listen and to take to heart what King Jesus says. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen.